everyone. Welcome back to another episode of AV Insider. As always, I'm your host, Johnny Moda. If you don't know me or the show, welcome. Uh, we're about 100 some odd episodes in, and if you haven't listened to any of them, why not start here, right? Or you could go back in time, but let's just start here since you're here. Thanks for joining the show. As I mentioned, my name is Johnny, but the show is not about me. It's about my special guest. Today, I've got Joey Kolchinski, who is the owner, operator, CEO, president, lead imagineer of One Vision Resources. Joey, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and teaching the internet and the world about your company. Thanks for having me, Johnny. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. Um, so for other people, uh, I like to know about the company, but before we get there, I like to know about my interviewee, my guest of honor, you being that person. I'd love to learn a little bit about your background and how you got to One Vision, right? How, how One Vision was created. But before we get there, just tell me a little bit about your background. Maybe this is your first job ever. I don't know, but I'd love to hear the story. Uh, yeah, uh, briefly, I'll try to try to keep it brief. I keep trying to shorten the story. Um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I started in this industry back in 2001 as a teenager. Um, and I really took a, a backwards route into it. I sort of backed into it. My, my first gig was a high net worth family hiring me to rip CDs to MP3s. And uh, he had one of the first uh, iPods, so he needed a CD collection digitized. He paid me 15 bucks an hour. It was a great, great job, um, but only recommended if you're living with your parents. Otherwise, it doesn't economically really work. Still um, cool, though. Still cool. That's right. So um, did that for a few years, and really the guy actually gave me an opportunity to learn how to provide technology support to him and his family hmm. in the context of his really high-demand lifestyle. Um, okay. and you know, that was, you know, the, the, the experience I had becoming a technology concierge it was the best phrase we had for it at the time. Um, fast forward through high school and college, you know, at this point, the guy had hired an integrator to design his first home system. And I had to figure out how to use an audio request system and all the other, you know, technologies that were installed, nice. um, still figuring out how to use audio request, by the way. Uh, I think the rest of the industry actually is as well. Um, I was just going to ask like, is request still around? Yeah, that's right. That's I don't, I don't right. want to say that cause they might be on the next show, but I mean, at the time yeah. when I was into them, like they were doing video and then one day Kaleidoscapes, yeah, you're done with that. We're better than that. That's right. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I had a brief gig on Wall Street after college uh, for a couple of years, but you know, in, in investing in, in public companies on the public market wasn't really my thing. Um, and when I left, I fell back on what I knew, which was tech support. And so this family introduced me to a bunch of their friends and bam, I had a business. Uh, cool. Great. I was this one man consultant shop. The problem is, is, you know, I, scaling that an hourly business was pretty hard and providing the level of support that I wanted to provide also wasn't really sustainable. So I decided to start charging a monthly fee. And in 2008 was really my first foray into recurring revenues. And I charged $300 a month for these clients to be just a, you know, a member of my client base. If you wanted my attention, if you wanted me to be there for you, you paid me $300 a month plus hourly for all my work. Hmm. Um, and you know, I was managing their computers, their iPhones, their email, their calendar, their contacts. I was their IT guy, but their personal IT guy for the, for the family. And in 2010, my first client asked me, you know, I've been hiring these integrators to, to install these AV systems. Can you support the AV system? Cause their support's not that good. You know, they installed it, but they're not really that responsive. 
And so naively, I was like, sure, I can figure this stuff out. I got that. Um, you know, yeah, you know, RTI, Lutron, Crestron, Control 4. Yeah, I got it. I'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes naivete is a great thing, right? It, it helps <laughs> you learn the world really quickly. Yeah. Um, Sink or swim. So I, that's right. And so I started supporting AV systems. And then the client said, hey, you know, I'm building another home. Can I just hire you to build my AV system? you know, so I don't have to hire this other company. And mind you, at the time, I didn't even know how to terminate Cat5. So <laughs> I actually hired- And you said, person. sure. I did. I said, sure, right? Gotcha. So I actually learned how to terminate Cat5 off a YouTube video. It's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but anyhow, uh, you know, I, I backed into becoming an integrator, right? I had always been a service provider. I had really focused on recurring revenues and service. And then I backed into this industry and learned all about the integration world. And for the next five years, I built an integration company. And so by 2015, you know, I had all the trappings of an integration company. I had the project managers, engineers, designers, um, installers, people who all knew how to terminate Cat5 way better than I did. Um, and, uh, you know, I was doing small and large integration jobs like the best of them uh, here in the Boston area. But I never stopped focusing on service. And so in 2015, I took stock of my business and I had these two very distinct groups in my company. One group was a typical integration group, as I just described, um, but it struggled to maintain a consistent profit uh, and in sometimes a profit at all. But on the other side of my business, I had this incredibly successful service group. So I had 40 families who each were paying on average two and a half thousand dollars a month. None of them were paying any less than a thousand and some were paying as much as eight or 9,000 a month. Wow. And that added up to about a hundred thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue. I mean, that's, that's a lot. And that was a, and that was only serviced by four employees. And what year and that, was this? This was by the end of 2015. Wow. So um, what I did is I, I shut down my integration business. And I took some time to document and, you know, really package together everything I had learned from the service business. And I built a platform uh, with my legacy service team. So with, with the team that had sort of helped me build up the, the services side of the business, we built a platform for the rest of the industry. Because what we realized is we had really cracked the nut on how to deliver high quality service and market and sell recurring revenue services and manage the expectations to these legacy clients, right? To all these high net worth clients who had sort of gotten used to the integrators world of things, but we had figured out how to change their perception of what tech support was all about and how to monetize it effectively. Wow. And so we built this platform and started offering it to the rest of the industry. And that was in early 2016. And that's all we've been doing for the last couple of years. That legacy business of mine still exists. It's down the hall. They do an awesome job with their 40 plus families. Um, but we don't, we don't bother them. Uh, they keep doing their thing, but we continue to learn from them and we take all those best practices and we, uh, deliver it to the rest of the industry with the platform we have today. Wow. One day transferring files from an MP3 to, to the computer. And, uh, that led to one vision resources, just the service, right. the service model of the future way back before, before all these people even could even think what that would even means I, I remember trying to, to 2008 is when we an integration company i used to work for we were trying to think the same the same thought process that you have okay we, we're doing all these integration jobs we want to put together um a package right you know just just maintenance right i want to i'm going to monitor i'm going to service you have this 
system, but it needs maintenance. It doesn't just fix itself. It doesn't monitor itself. It doesn't provide a level of service that you were doing as a, as a teen, which it sounds like, uh, to other people. And we, at the time, it's like, well, how do we, how do we sell that? How do, I, how do I tell the customer this is something that's needed? How do I provide them with this level of service? And something that's, uh, you know, this, this whole idea of just a, a reoccurring monthly service didn't really exist at all. I mean, it kind of, I mean, it did with you, but at the time I was like, you know, I don't even know where to start. Well, I think a lot of it's because I started from the IT side of things. And in the IT industry, the managed services provider space, this is, this is a, a default way of thinking, right? Of course you run a business with recurring revenue. It's the only way to run it. Sure. And that's where I had started. Right. So it, 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 you know, I, it certainly wasn't my idea. Right. I, I just, you know, learned from the, the, the industry that I thought I was in until I found myself backing into this industry. But there were a couple big lessons that I really learned along the way. One is, you know, I had iterated many, many times. I mean, from 2008 to 2015, I changed my service model no less than once per year. Now, of course, that sounds insane. And that sounds like it must have been frustrating for clients. And it certainly was. Right. But I had to continue to find a model that would work. And three hundred dollars a month is where I started, right? And I and I, you know, ended up, you know, evolving to provide things as complicated as doing software updates and discounted rates and bundled hours and different SLAs. And I, you know, made the most complicated service models in the world, and then ended up simplifying them dramatically, right? And and I really learned from all those various mistakes of doing those things. The other thing I learned, which was, you know, really interesting, was back in 0809, I remember fearing gosh, all this tech seems to be getting simpler, right? What if everything becomes so simple that my clients just won't need me anymore? And, you know, what I learned from all the data that I had been tracking, I tracked how many hours our clients used us every single month since about 2008. What I learned is they just continue to use us more and more. And the reason why is because while tech gets simpler and cheaper, it also is much more prolific within their lives. And as we know today, it's not necessarily, the difficulty isn't in supporting necessarily one individual product. It's in supporting the integration and management of all the various products that are in the client's lives and the dynamic nature of all of them with one another. The fact that they're all updating or changing or, you know, have, have uh, different things to learn, um, you know, or they have different security threats or whatever they are. So those two things combined really led to where we are today. Um, which is, you know, a, a platform sort of developed from a lot of experience and, and uh, confidence derived from increasing demand. Our right? clients just never stop needing us. So that brings us to the, your company today, as it is One Vision Resources, or is it just One Vision? I'm, maybe I'm wrong. It's One Vision Resources. We call it One Vision for short. Okay. Give me, I mean, you kind of just explained it, but just give me a breakdown uh, of your company as it is and what you offer to either, no, so, so your company is for integrators, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so yep. give me a quick, a quick little elevator pitch on, on OneVision. Sure, OneVision Resources is a service platform for integrators who recognize that service is the future of their business and uh, are interested in becoming technology managers. So they join our platform and we provide a few things. The first and foremost thing that we provide is a set of processes and standards um, and systems that immediately um, uh, uh, elevate their service business. 
uh, we are effectively the service department. We have provided an entire framework to an integrator's business so that they immediately become a well-regarded, high-quality, consistent, scalable, sustainable service uh, uh, entity to their clients. Um, we have an entire partner development team, which is a team of former integrators and professional trainers who do nothing other than take all the lessons from our playbook and train our partners. That's all they do. Um, I think it's one of the, I think it's the only team in the industry that's focused on doing this kind of stuff. The second thing we provide is instant 24 seven support to their clients. So we do it in white label format. Um, so Johnny, what was your, uh, integrators company's name when you, uh, when you worked? yeah, Vsys automation, which is short for Vino systems, uh, Vino Systems. So we would pick up the phone and we would say Vino systems, Joey speaking. Um, and huh. all of Vino systems clients would get the feeling that they're talking to Vino systems, um, the same Vino systems they hired to install the system with the one caveat that all of a sudden they'd realize, wow, service seems to have improved. Every time I call, every time I email, I get an instant response 24 seven. Um, and third, we then leverage all of our marketing and sales experience to package together the appropriate membership, help you price it appropriately for your clients. And then we market and sell it either using our service team or by calling clients back, asking for um, sort of quality feedback after the service events, or also through you know modern digital marketing techniques with email and social and things of that nature. And we process all the recurring revenue transactions um, and, and then share the revenue back with the uh, integrator, uh, who we call our partners, share the, share the revenue back with our partners on a monthly basis. So every month we're writing checks back to our partners. Uh, wow. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. I'm thinking of all these people. I'm like, you got to call Joey right now. <laughs> um, so can, can we discuss how that works? You are direct to the integrator, your partners, right? Yep. So do you have a limitation on like per area, how many partners you can have or how does that work? Yeah, we, so we're not exclusive to any integrators or to any, re, uh, we don't provide exclusivity within any region. Um, you know, one of the reasons why is because you know, there is way too much growth out there for mm -hmm. any one integrator to accommodate. Um, and one of the things that I think we've, we've uh, exposed our partners to is the idea that um, they could probably triple or quadruple their business today if they just focused on their existing clients in their database and didn't even worry about getting new clients. Um, so, you know, none of our partners are actually concerned anymore about the idea that, you know, we are, uh, uh, providing our services to other integrators in the area. Um, the other thing is we're focused on the long term here. So we think about the fact that in the next several years, we're going to have, let's say, uh, 500 to 1,000 partners within our network. And I start to think about what happens to the other several thousand integrators around the country when 24-7 support is practically a requirement, right? And it's no longer just this nice to have. And when that starts to happen, you actually start to see a lot of consolidation happen, right? Because a lot of the other integrators aren't going to be able to necessarily survive in that environment. Um, and there's going to start to be a lot of uh, consolidation, not only from integrators outside of our network into our network, but also of the integrators who are, you know, maybe aging out, right? How many integrators do we know whose, you know, CEOs, owners, founders founded it 25 years ago and are ready to retire? Well, who's going to buy their business? Well, we look at it and say, man, you know, if you're on our standard platform and this younger integrator over here is also on our standard platform, we can help the older integrator retire, help finance that, that buyout 
and simply migrate and merge all the resources over to our uh, younger integrator. Hmm. Right. So we expect over the next several years, you know, over the next five to 15 years, I totally expect the industry to start to consolidate. And we plan to create the resources to, frankly, buy out the older integrators who are looking to retire. So really cool. We're excited about that potential. But that's that's pretty far out there. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I know some people that are currently in that phase now who are look, you know, looking, you know, looking for someone that they can really trust to, to grow and say, you know, this is going to be yours you know, in the coming, you know, like I said, five to 15 years. But I got to I, I got to start looking now kind of a thing. Yeah. And, I mean, it's hard to do. Right. It's hard yeah. to do when you're running a business that's so custom compared to every other business. But if you're running a business that's on our platform, the most complicated components of your business start to look the same. Right. You start to use the same service systems, the same processes, the same procedures, the same nomenclature with your clients, it actually becomes pretty darn easy for us to take most of your engine and merge it with another company's, right? When they're all using the same processes and procedures. I mean, in many ways, it almost starts to look like a little bit like a franchise, right? Hmm. And, yeah. um, and we're not afraid of that. And our, our partners and integrators aren't afraid of that either. And we're really all about just building the strongest, most powerful network of, of like-minded, forward-thinking, service-oriented integrators in the industry. What are your requirements when looking for a partner at your company? Yeah, it's 100% culture fit. Um, has almost nothing to do with size. I mean, some of it, of course, has to do with being, you know, um, at least a large enough integrator to be able to focus a little bit on your business and not be so... Um, uh, um, uh, I guess, uh, sort of a, a swamped with your business, Got right? It. So yeah. you have to be able to have a little extra bandwidth and, and wherewithal to focus on your business. But um, it really just comes down to culture fit. Do okay. you believe that service is the future? Do you believe in always improving your business? Are you able to sort of relinquish a little bit of, of control and, and trust a partner like us to lead the way as it comes to, you know, transitioning your business uh, to becoming service oriented. You know, we are, we're in the business of redefining your relationship with your clients, right? And, and helping you change the way you're perceived from being project oriented and sort of one project oriented every, uh, sort of one project every five to 10 years type of relationship into being a always available, you're always there for me, instantly responsive, service oriented relationship with a client. And that takes a lot of trust. Right. We, we have to be singing the same tune and and um, and and walking to the same beat. And if we find an integrator of any size, uh, I mean, we're willing to do anything to bring that kind of integrator on board. Um, you know, okay. I, I don't know how far out your uh, podcast goes, but I'll risk it and say, you know, we'll give discounts to integrators who are that culturally aligned with us. That's how cool. badly we want those types of integrators on. Well, you heard it. We would have to reach out to your company and find out more. Um, right. So. Do you, we talked about different packages, right? And there's different services within the company. And every year you plan to no less than one time uh, changing or adding value to your company's business model. So that being said, last year, 2017, what's the minimum of the one thing that you changed or increased your business model? Uh so you mean in terms of our service model back when, when I was saying from 08 to 15, is that what you're saying? Yeah, because you're saying, because you're constantly looking for ways to improve your company, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a good example of how we did it recently. So um, in 2016, when we started, we actually thought that we were uh, 
a little bit more than basically just a, a, a call center providing services. Okay. Right. And, and I have thought, okay, you know, here we go. We're going to make our integrators lives easier. We're going to provide 24 seven support, instant response, and bam, their lives are going to be so easy. And now they should be between that and monitoring. They should be, they should be able to go and, um, uh, and, and sell and market recurring revenue. Like it's nobody's business. Right. I mean, we yeah. just solved the biggest problem. I feel like that should be easy now. And what we realized very quickly is no, there's, there's actually, that's just 5% of the problem. The rest of the problem is, figuring out how to structure a service team, how to implement all the software and the systems, how to, how to structure a membership, a, a service plan, how to sell it, how to market it, how to process the recurring revenue, how do you incentivize your team for after-hour yeah. support, right? How do you hire service people properly? How do you train them? I mean, just the problems built up and we realized, wow, what we actually have to do is go and solve that whole problem. <laughs> right. We have to actually create that whole platform. And so we did about 18 months ago, we very quickly adapted our business and changed to go and develop and, and provide the entire platform to our partners. Um, and so that that's an example of sort of how we are constantly internally evaluating and receiving feedback and changing in order to help uh, our integrators. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about uh, FaceTime with your company at, at uh, trade shows. Where can we see your company and get some like some demo stuff? Um, uh, Cedia, Infocom, ISC, local local stuff. Yeah, we um, participate in just uh, about every trade show with the exception of Infocom and ISE. So uh, we've got a big presence at Cedia every year. We teach a bunch of uh, workshops. We also have a booth on the floor and have had one for the last couple of years. Um, we also participate in uh, Mark Sachowski and Frank White's tech summits that are regionally located in all the um, various cities around the country. I think they're doing 10 or 12 this year. Those are sort of like mini Cedia trade shows. And we also teach a service workshop at each of their tech summits. So we're looking forward to doing our, our nationwide tour with Mark and Frank and, and participating in that. And then all the various buying groups, we participate in um, in ASEAN and in HDSAs, uh, uh, buying group and, and, and buying groups and their events. Um, and, and certainly stay tuned for some more uh, more exciting news on the buying group front uh, coming from us shortly. Cool. Um, so yeah, we're 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 around. We're pretty accessible, and we've actually been known to fly uh, our potential partners out to our offices. So if there's any integrator who is interested in getting to know us, and you know if you're a good fit, we will actually fly you and your executive team out to our offices, host you for a night, go and have dinner with you. Have you come into our offices, meet our team, see our operation, see that we're real, witness our service team providing high quality support, um, and you know, prepare to walk away, you know, completely blown away. Um, that's cool. that's our aim every time. That's cool. Um, any particular reason why you currently aren't going to ISC or Infocom? Or are you more focused to the the Resi side of things, or just at this moment in time, you're just not really. Um, invested in that portion of, of integration for, for commercial? Or? No, I, I think we're it, right now. It's just a matter of focus. You know, we are okay. not shy about the fact that look, we, we grew one integrator a month back in our first year yeah. In our second year, we grew two or three integrators a month. Um, now in our third year, we're, we're already growing four or five integrators a month. Um, but that sort of gives you an idea of the scale at which we're growing. Right. So yeah. we're at 40 integrators. Now we plan to be at around a hundred by the end of this year, by the end of 18. Um, and probably a two to 300 by the end of 19. So, you know, I, I imagine that maybe next year would be the time that we would go out to 
ISC and participate in Infocom. You, you also made a good point. We are pretty focused on residential. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, we, uh, I, I think the involvement that we have currently at CDN with the buying groups uh, keeps the, the pipeline plenty, plenty stocked and gets our exposure out there good enough okay. for now. Yeah. Uh, but longer term, we're certainly interested in that. What about, uh, so, I mean, obviously, you know, not an ISC outside of the States and such, but with your integrators that you have now, is everyone within the United States or do you have integrators outside of the States? So we have had a lot of interest um, in, in from integrators outside of the States. Um, mostly it's limited to English language, uh, just naturally right now, you right. Know, we're, we're not focused on foreign languages. Um, so uh, we haven't yet signed anyone in England or Canada, but both are actually on the verge, uh, have, hmm. have several in both countries interested. Okay. Um, we also have one in the Middle East. And the interesting thing is, is I probed the language thing pretty hard. And what they explained to me is right now uh, they, you know, they would prefer to have, you know, English speaking. First of all, in the Middle East, what was interesting is they said, typically it's the service staff that's calling um, and the service staff are all used to speaking English anyway, or they'd oh. rather, you know, they're, they're willing to engage in that um, in, in English speaking support uh, rather than the, you know, poor support they're getting today. Um, okay. The other interesting thing we saw is that apparently uh, we had a couple of requests out of um, out of Asia, and I sort of uh, found it pretty funny that they were looking to outsource back to us, right? <laughs> it's a you little know, funny. All this time yeah. we, it's a little funny, right? It's just the irony yeah. in that. Like, huh, um, imagine that. So, you know, yeah. So we do get international interest. Uh, you know, at the moment we're uh, spanned between Hawaii and the East Coast. We've already got a fair number of the time zones covered. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll, so we'll the, the main reason I ask, aside the language barrier, which I didn't think of, and I'm glad you brought that up, is the fact that we talk about 24-7 support. So as integrators grow and you're rapidly growing every year, it sounds like it's kind of doubling per month over year over year. At least that's been the trend you're saying yep. the last two to three years. The 24-7 thing is going to be hard when you get into other countries, right? Because of the time difference being so so far out you know, would it make sense for, as your company grows to a certain size, or, or maybe they're now, I'm just unsure, would it make sense to have offices in other countries? No, it's a great question. And strategically, we think about it a lot. We even think different states, right? We wonder at what point yeah. does it make sense to possibly just open up an office on the West Coast. You know, the interesting thing now is we handle about 2,000 support events a month. So in the early years of us doing this, you know, we had a bunch of people pulling all-nighters and, you know, working double shifts and things like that, right? But now we're at the point where we effectively have, you know, enough staff to, to be, you know, each handle their own shift. And, um, you know, it almost makes more sense to just maintain one and spread around globally, right? To, to say, build your sales globally, because while our team on the East Coast is up overnight, they might be barely handling you know, uh, uh, stateside requests, they'll at least be busy handling international requests, right? So um, assuming language weren't a barrier, you know, that might be the way to go. But I'll say it probably doesn't even make sense to think about it from our perspective for another year or two, just based on the scale that we're talking. But Johnny, you're totally right. I mean, it it might make sense for us to open an office abroad um, or on the West Coast. Yeah, usually what I see with uh, tech startup companies, if they're not already here where I'm at, you know, in San Francisco or whatever, that used to be the trend, you know, in San Francisco, the startup central, but 
not anymore, right? So I see big trends in the UK and then having offices there and then and then coming this way because that's the thought process like, well, you have to start over there or reverse is that we start here and then do like I'm saying, you know, go to the UK, go to Canada, go, go to wherever, depending on your growth rate ratio. And because of the time difference, it makes more sense to have a localized office there and a team there. Totally. And you know, the reason why tech startups are doing it for the most part is because they're looking for talent, right? And right, right. It's, it's hard to sometimes get, especially with the, the um, cost of living in San Francisco and these other big hubs, it's hard to get talent there. Um, but spreading out globally gets you access to more talent. In yeah. our case, interestingly, Boston is one of the best places for our kind of talent because what we're looking for is, you know, t- um, 20 to 20 to 30 something um, you know, young professionals basically who are, you know, into the technology, probably have a stint at Apple, uh, as a genius, um, you know, and, uh, and, and are, have high EQ. And I mean, Apple has produced a ton of these professionals through their genius bar, uh, program. Right. And, you know, at Boston is probably one of the densest areas, uh, for that kind of professional. So, um, going elsewhere, one of the first things I would look for is how many Apple stores do you have and how long have they been around? Because I want to know how many geniuses are in the area that I can hire. Right now, I have more than enough. Um, so, you know, uh, that, that's another thing to sort of consider for us is where is the talent? I gotcha. All right. Well, when you make it a West Coast office, let me know because I'm here. <laughs> we'll do. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm curious to see the, the growth and the, eventually when you get to the size and it makes more sense to have an office outside of the States on, on the growth there as well. If it, if it continues to be the same or if it's more so there, because like you said, like you're getting calls from outside of our country looking for tech support here. Is that the trend in other countries as well? And they're just haven't really come this far yet. It could be, you know, I really need to go spend some time at ISC probably and get a better feel for the international market. Um, you know, the only thing I know now is that every time I bring up language, they all say it's better getting higher quality English support than lower quality local language support or native language support. And that has always surprised me. Um, but I guess that's the power of sort of, you know, English being a, a global language to some extent. Um, but I really need to go spend some time out at ISC and I look forward to doing that probably next year. Yeah, I was just going to say maybe next year is the year you go and at least check it out and see what One Vision can do for the, the clientele there. Probably. Yeah. It's, assuming you go, that's probably where you and I will meet. Yeah, I, I I had to decline on this year again, and I'm really hoping that next year is my, my first year at ISC. Okay. Awesome. I'm, I'm, to, I'm okay. told to dress warm. That's, that's all I know. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, so that being said, your company is already so far advanced on other companies out there, and you've had this vision since day one, you know, as, as you had your company, your first company, you've already had the service thought process in mind since day one. So that's never really deviated from the path since you've done, you know, up to this company now. But that being said, where do you see the future of your company? I mean, obviously service is never going to go away, but do you see, well, you kind of mentioned some stuff coming soon, but do you see other areas for your company to, to branch out into or is service the primary I mean, I think service is the primary for us. And look, long, long term, there's there's a ton of potential for a whole variety of things. Um, but I think sort of the more appropriate future to talk about is the the future that our partner network is capable of achieving 
you know, with the foundation they've built. So let, let just take, let's take a look at what the CDA industry has and how if you sprinkle a few things on it, how it all of a sudden blossoms and opens up a lot of potential. So the CDA industry has a high net worth base of clients that they have a trusting relationship with, right? Because these clients have all spent tens or, or you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars with these companies. So they trust the brand. They have a propensity to spend money, a willingness to spend money on premium services, right? Mm. They have a generally a propensity and need for premium services with their lifestyle. And they have a ton of technology in their home that practically demand a better support system to take care of it, right? So you have this very, very ripe and mature uh, client base that's, that's practically ready to ignite um, in terms of you know, demand uh, for better service. All you have to do is improve the quality of service within this industry, right? Which, I, yeah. which we do by, by pro providing standards and 24-7 support and facilitate a more efficient operational approach to it, right? Introduce ticketing systems and procedures and you know, credit card processing on recurring revenue and all of that kind of stuff. And then start to expand it from there. Right now that you've created a technology manager type of relationship, right, where your client sees you as an ongoing provider, how about we start to expand from providing AV support to also providing computer and IT support, right? Imagine if you do that. I mean, computer and IT support, we looked at the data from our legacy company. That support requires three to four times the amount of, uh, of, of uh, bandwidth, right? Clients used our legacy team three to four times as much on the IT side than they did on the home technology side. So if we think about the potential just for providing service on home tech, then multiply that by three or four, and now you've got IT as well, right? That's just within our high net worth client base. And there are a million families out there in the top 1% of this country. But eventually we know that everyone's going to require this kind of support. Right. And as the cost of support comes down and as the, as the uh, tools that allow us to provide better support, you know, come on the market, for example, now we're able to do augmented reality video chat, right? Where I can have one way video chat with the client and I can turn on their flashlight and I can pro put circle and put arrows on their, on their iPhone screen. And it shows up right on their screen as they're sort of pointing it around the rack. As all of these things improve as RSM improves with, you know, oversee or control force acquisition, acquisition of Ihiji, um, or domotes, you know, as all these tools improve, we're going to be able to provide even better support at a less, at a lower cost, enabling our partner network to go after a larger swath of the market. Sure. And we ultimately hope that the service we're enabling or providing in our brand or our partner's brands, frankly, become household names over the next decade, right? That's, that's yeah. the vision. So the growth, I think, and the potential is massive, you know, within this industry alone, and of course, there are, I think, many opportunities to go outside of it and grow beyond that. But we're pretty darn focused on, on using the foundation that CDA and CDA-like integrators have built uh, to expand it from there. Well, very cool. So for integrators or IT service managers or, or large-scale teams or the people that fit the mold for One Vision Resources, for people listening now who aren't already a partner, are curious about learning more or want to take the next step, what is the best way to reach out and contact the company? So uh, come to our website, uh, onevisionresources.com. Uh, check, check us out there, read a little bit about us, you know, check out our blog, 
if uh, we, we share pretty much all our secrets on the blog. So if you really want to, you know, basically print out every blog post, you could pretty much put our entire book together, um, our entire playbook. But furthermore, you know, th this is not an easy snap decision, right? No, none of our partners made this decision overnight to join us. And, you know, as you get to know us, as you read about us, you know, consider also attending our service conference. So we are hosting what I think is the, um, you know, I, what I know is the industry's first attempt at a service conference. Um, it's called the Insight Summit. We're hosting it here in Boston in the first week of May. And uh, we're going to have 150 integrators uh, and service managers and, and CEOs from around the country uh, 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 come to learn all about technology and business practices and culture related to service, right? Uh, we're bringing outside experts from the industry to come and, you know, share their knowledge and their expertise and, you know, other industries' best practices uh, for how to handle service within our industry. So if you like what you see on our website, if you want to learn more, you consider reaching out. We'll consider, we'll fly you out to our offices so you can learn more about us here. Um, and if you come to our conference in the first week of May, uh, you'll get a really good dose for what it's like to be part of the One Vision family and, and be exposed to, to everything we have to offer. And that yeah. website, by the way, is insightsummit.com, but the uh, first letter is the number one. So insight with a one instead of an I. Got it. Uh, typically this is where I tell people where they can find you online via social media, but I think I'll let you handle this time. Where, where can we learn more if you want to interact socially with your company? Uh, LinkedIn is a good place. Uh, okay. and that's, that's about it. LinkedIn and our blog. So we're, we're pretty traditional there. Uh, we'll okay. probably be coming Straight out on, on Twitter and other places next year. Sounds good. Uh, for people who want to learn more, obviously go to the website, one vision resources all spelled out. And I think that's a great place to start for people who are more interested in learning about being on the show with me. You want to send me love mail, hate mail, no spam, please. You can reach me at Johnny J O H N N Y at ravepubs.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, blah, blah, blah at J three. You could probably just Google my name and find me. But if you find anything bad, that's definitely my evil twin. He looks a lot like me with a wicked awesome mustache. It's curly. Bad dude. Don't follow him. He also goes by a different name on Snapchat. You can follow me, though, on Snapchat at AV underscore insider. And again, you have my email. If you want to be on the show, tell me you hate it, you loved it. You want to learn more about Joey or the company, whatever it is, send me an email, say hi. But that's pretty much the end of the show, everybody. Joey, thank you for taking the time and educating me and our listeners. We appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, and as you grow month over month, year over year, maybe towards the end of this year, I'd love to have you back to hear a little bit about more. I, I know that you got a roadmap that you can't quite share yet, but I'd love to learn more about it as that unfolds. And you could, uh, you know, bring some of the team back on or whatever you like and just share with us. That'd be awesome. Cool. Everyone, thanks for listening. This has been AV Insider. We'll catch you on the next episode.